Hello, and welcome back to The Near Futures, the podcast I've been running for almost five years now. We cover both the business and the consumer worlds, and as always, I'll welcome feedback and input on the LinkedIn page. Just search for Guy Clapperton and Near Futurist, and you'll find it. Before I introduce this month's guest, though, here's a word from my sponsor. Yeah, I know it's not really a sponsor. It's me plugging my media trainer operation. But here we go. clients want to sound as confident, clear, and fluent in media interviews as the people in this podcast? Of course you do. My team and I can help. Drop my assistant, Lindsay, that's lindsay at clapperton.co.uk, a note, and she'll set us a time for an initial chat. Or go to the website at clapperton.co.uk, two Ps, to find out more. Now, back to the podcast. But you're not here for the self-publicity. What you need to hear is my guest. Now, mental health is increasingly important in the workplace. Actually, let me rephrase that. Mental health has always been vital in the workplace. It just now has more recognition than ever before. Which sounds good, but there are controversies, and as always, people who think we may or may not have gone too far with it. We'll come to that in a second. One major point is how a workplace can detect that someone's heading for a problem or already going through one, which is where my guest this month may be able to help. She runs a company called Themia, which uses video game technology to monitor movement, voice and behavioural data. She's a doctor with an extensive academic background in health and experience of the gaming industry, as you'd expect. Dr. Emilia Molimpakis, welcome. Hi there. Thank Hi. you so much for having me. You're more than welcome. Thank you for joining us and sparing the time. But uh, let's start with the basics. How does Themia's solution actually work? That's a great question. So what Themia does uh, is we uniquely combine three different types of data. So we look at voice, which is the first one. So we look at how somebody sounds when they speak, but also what they're saying. Secondly, we look at video this is everything we can pick up from a smart device camera, from where you're looking on the screen to how your face is moving or how your body is moving. And then finally, behavior. So that's basically everything else we can pick up. This could be reactions, mistakes, etc. So combining voice, video and behavior into our AI models. And these models are really cool, if I say so myself, because they can do quite a few things. On the one hand, our models are able to detect whether someone may or may not have a particular mental health condition. Uh, in particular, we look at major depression and generalized anxiety. Most recently, we've also expanded to ADHD. But more interestingly, uh, we are the only company that can actually look at the symptoms of these conditions. So we won't just say whether someone has depression, we can say how they are experiencing depression. So we can look at things like fatigue levels, um, different sleep disturbances, memory issues, attention or concentration problems, something called anhedonia, which is a loss of interest in doing stuff, but also psychomotor effects, which is a very fancy way of saying, are your movements particularly fast or slow compared to someone who may not be experiencing a mental health condition? So all of that together to say we basically use complex digital biomarkers to track mental health. Interesting. Um, an awful lot of the, uh, the, the the preamble, the um, stuff that uh, the information I was sent in advance mentioned uh, game controllers. You uh, yes. use game controllers quite a lot. Um, let's pretend that I'm a 58-year-old man with about as much idea about how to operate a game controller as a rocket launcher. Uh, just, you know, <laughs> it might be fairly close to the truth. How, how can you help someone of my generation? 
So yes, that is accurate in terms of how do we actually gather the data. So uh, these particular data streams are super relevant. We wanted a way that was really engaging and easy and fun to experience as someone who may have depression or anxiety. So we settled on video games. Now, when we say video games, a lot of people think we mean something incredibly complex like you know, um, Skyrim or any of the big games that are out there right now. Actually, this is quite far from the truth. Uh, our video games are much more like, let's say, an old fashioned game of Snap, if you're familiar with the game. So card games where you're basically you're seeing a card, you're asked to memorize it. And then when you see the same card, you tap the screen again. Uh, so it's a much, much less complex um, overall experience for the user. And also we make it super, super simple to understand. So we do everything with extensive user testing. And actually we've had users from the age of 18 all the way through to 93 use this really successfully. We've actually had quite a few people uh, over the age of 60 <laughs> using this uh, on a daily basis really well. Well, not quite there yet, but uh, fair enough. Let's um, <laughs> address that very, very thoroughly, the, the uh, generation issue. Thanks for that. What um, behavioural indicators are you actually looking for? Is it slowing down? Is it wandering attention? What, 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 what exactly would you be looking for as a doctor as well as as an entrepreneur, of course? Yes. So it is really a really big, complex picture that we're looking for. So we're looking for a really big um, pattern, let's say, or signature, which is a signature of depression and of a depression, say, or anxiety that's experienced in a certain way. So what we're looking for is each of these different data streams, we expand it into thousands of little data points we're looking from each. So let's say, for instance, in your voice. So voice is split into two for us. It's split into acoustics, so how you sound when you speak, but also what you're saying. So if we focus on the how you sound part, if you are experiencing depression um, or different elements um, of exhaustion, which may be due to burnout, we would expect a very specific pattern of voice. So we would have a very flat intonation. So this is basically saying the person doesn't sound um, very musical in their voice. They sound quite flat. So a lack of emotion, let's say, if we were to use it um, from, from a layperson's point of view. We would also expect that the loudness of the voice would be lower. All of this is due to the fact that this person who has uh, depression typically will not have that much energy. So you will be seeing that lack of energy in the voice as well. In terms of content, this is actually quite interesting. What we've found is that um, the obvious thing is people who are lower in mood, uh, they will use more negative words than positive words. Um, I think that kind of is very self-explanatory. You don't you don't really need to be a, a rocket scientist to, to, to understand that. Um, what we found, which is interesting, though, is people who are experiencing depression may actually be using a lot more personal pronouns than when they're not. So saying things like I think, I believe, my opinion, I, my, we, etc. This is because quite frequently during depression, because we are experiencing such a bad situation, we become overly preoccupied with how we are experiencing the world rather than the other person with us or someone else. So when you're looking at a picture, you fixate on what you see rather than what the people in the picture may be talking or, or saying or doing. So this is just an example. Um, in terms of behavior, so say in the card game, we would be looking at, again, reactions. So slower reactions are more indicative of depression, but also mistakes. Where are you clicking on the screen? Uh, I can give you an example for ADHD in particular there. It's really nice to see in video 
um, I say nice in the sense that it's quite clear cut. You look at a lot of body movements, twitching, um, ticks, all those different things are picked up by the camera very neatly. So those are just, um, I guess, a few examples, but we're looking at thousands of data points there. And I'm only glad we switched the cameras off while we're having this interview because I'd feel terribly <laughs> self-conscious by now, even though I appreciate you would not be uh, analysing me. That's just uh, irrelevance. But uh, <laughs> in terms of who you actually uh, help, who are your clients? Do you work with employers? Do you work with uh, the public sector? Who who do you actually talk to? So when we first started out, we were working very strongly on the clinical side. So we worked uh, together with neuropsychologists, psychiatrists, so kind of secondary care and tertiary care clinicians. Since then, we've expanded primary care as well. So more generalist practitioners. Uh, and there we work directly with the clinician uh, who then can um, prescribe our activities to their patients so they can basically monitor how they're doing. That was a lot of the, the initial story of FEMIA. Um, in the past half year, seven, eight months or so, we've actually started expanding also into the preclinical, let's say, or wellness sector. So we realized that a lot of the symptoms we were tracking for more serious clinical mental health, so things like fatigue levels, concentration, attention, mood, all of these actually are very relevant, not just to clinicians and patients, but to everyday people. If you have a tool that can detect your fatigue levels, your exhaustion or your burnout levels from just 20, 30 seconds of voice, well, that's relevant to everyone. Um, it's relevant to every employee. It's relevant to every person. It's relevant to every driver, to every person who, say, is in a safety critical environment like a pilot or a minor. It's relevant to all of them. So we started to sell basically our wellness version of our models to large employers and also mental health and well-being companies, people think of people like Calm or Headspace who offer their own um, EAP interventions. We can help them see whether those interventions are actually working and fine-tune them further. Tell me, don't you need this sort of controlled specimen of somebody's voice? Uh, I mean, I'm feeling fine at the moment, but if you uh, if I if I sounded tired, you wouldn't necessarily know if you didn't know what I sounded like usually. Absolutely. That's a fantastic point. So uh, our models work on two levels. The first level, which is what you would experience as a first time user, is across the across different speakers model, um, which is what we start with. Now, that has taken into consideration. Uh, we have over 6000 people in our data set um, and billions of data points from all of them. Now, in that data set, we have the people who um, have been diagnosed with depression, diagnosed with anxiety, diagnosed with ADHD, but also fatigued people like shift workers, for instance. They are each compared to a control group who are matched to them in age, gender, first language, education, and a number of other variables. Through that comparison, we've been able to isolate what is the typical signal that, let's say, is associated with fatigue or with attention problems. That is basically what you as a first-time user would be compared against. So we would take your age, gender, education level, language, et cetera, and find people and match you against that. So you're being matched to find a signal that is relevant to those particular variables for you. So your age and gender, et cetera. Now, this is how you start. It's a great starting point, but it's not perfect. What we then do is once you start using Themia and you are a user who will go and use Themia, say, four or five times, we then build a interspeaker model. So, uh, sorry, intraspeaker model. So, uh, a model that 
is taking you as your own baseline. So it moves away from cross speakers and it also uh, moves more towards you. So it'll learn that you say as Guy have a particular way of talking. Maybe you have a speech impediment. I'm not saying you do, but let's say maybe you did or you stutter or maybe you speak English with a different accent. It will actually start to um, accommodate for that. And then it will isolate the signal that is particular to you. Now, the way we actually make sure that we're doing this properly and ethically is we do ask people every now and then to input certain answers to different questions, just so that we can do a sanity check of our models to make sure that they are actually picking up what we think they are. So um, this is all part of kind of ethical um, continuous training of our models. Okay. I'm interested in uh, one of the points I'd like to draw out uh, a little. You mentioned wellness. Uh, that's, uh, you hear an awful lot about that. A lot of um, listeners, I hate to say it again, but of my generation, will be uh, tend to think about mental health in terms of mental illness rather than mental wellness. What exactly you, do you mean by mental health when you talk about it in this way? Yes, this is actually quite, um, this is quite a big topic that's quite close to my heart as well. I think there is still not not just in in um in in your generation but in in all generations there is still this really big stigma around mental health because when we talk about it we always seem to perceive it as something um, that only matters when it becomes an illness essentially. I think with mental health we're still in this era that physical health used to be in say 100 150 years ago when you only took care of your physical health when you got to the point that you know you had a real issue we've moved away from that and i think a big part of moving away from that and of actually perceiving the full spectrum of physical health from being well all the way through to being ill as, as a spectrum has come because of the use of tools essentially that allow you to view your physical health when you're well. So things like blood pressure cuffs, blood tests, urine samples, uh, mammograms, all these different tests that have been coming out more and more um, in advanced form in the past hundred years. I believe that those are the things that really have highlighted to people that there is a wellness side to physical health as well. So you you don't want to just care about your physical health when it, you become ill. You want to um, care about it when you're well and, and stay at that point, stay at the well point. That's why we're all into fitness um, all of a sudden. And, you know, we, we look at our blood pressure, our blood tests our you know, there's all these um, products to help you stay well rather than to treat illness. I think that in mental health, we're just starting to go in that direction. And that is because we haven't had tools to show that mental health is a spectrum. There is also, unfortunately, because it is a lot more invisible than physical health, there is this um, stigma surrounding it so that whether it's good or whether it's bad, you don't really talk about it that much because there was always this stigma that it's not a real thing. And so if you're ill with a mental health issue, um, it's all in your head, and quite literally, and you were told to snap out of it. Um, you would never tell somebody who has diabetes to snap out of it or to not take their insulin and that they'll get over it. And yet somehow we do the same. We do that for mental health. And I think it's because we don't have a way of proving or showing objectively that it is a real thing. But I think that's what we're getting to now. Psychotic episodes aside, and I know there are, uh, there are major issues with, uh, with the mental health. We've had that uh, with um, family members in previous generations in the past. 
I was reading an article in the Times recently, uh, that's the London Times for anybody who wants to check into it, uh, suggested that uh, this whole thing may have gone a little bit too far. People are bringing so much of their whole selves, as they might call it, into work. that The core tasks get pushed into the background, whereas they might even be better off using work as an escape. How, How do you react to that? I think... I mean, I, I think it's kind of a, uh, along the lines of this this perception some people have at the moment that say that we are too aware of our mental health or um, the fact that we know so much about ADHD means we are over-diagnosing ADHD, that everybody has ADHD all of a sudden. And there's all these signs, say, on TikTok that if you have this, you have ADHD. If you have this, you have depression. If you have this, et cetera. I think there is... Still, it's it's quite a fine line. Uh, I don't disagree that there have been a, there has been a proliferation of diagnoses, but I also don't think that that's because we are not um, we're not accurately diagnosing people. I don't think that's the case either. I think that we're still at that point where objective measurements of these different conditions, whether you're well or whether you're ill, um, still haven't been main, mainstream enough to be able to reliably look at these things. I don't think it's a bad thing for somebody to bring their full self uh, into work and to to acknowledge openly if they have something that um, affects them at work, whether that's a mental illness or whether that's, say, just you as a person, you just don't work very well in a group, you prefer to work alone. I think that's actually, uh, for an employer, it is to your detriment to... Um, to ignore that, it's actually a lot better to empower the individual and say, yes, okay, I recognize you have this issue. I will help you work with that issue. Or if work is an escape for you, I will help you do that, essentially. Um, I say that also as a CEO. Um, I, I've tried all sorts of different ways of, of leading teams um, because I just jumped from academia straight into being a CEO. I didn't have that kind of training or anything. And for me, what's worked has, um, after all these years, it's been empathy. So when I am empathetic with my um, employees, uh, people who I manage, and I understand what they're going through, I can make accommodations for them, and then they perform so much better. I think every employer should do that in some form or another. But I think it's powerful to acknowledge that rather than detrimental. Of course, for many uh, CEOs, it's the other way around. They come with the experience of the business world, uh, but they don't come with the, um, although they may come with empathy, but they don't come with the medical qualification and they're not doctors as you are. So if a boss is not a mental health professional, uh, if mm-hmm. they decide to use a tool like yours and they do detect an issue, what is their next move? Yeah. So this is a very delicate question, right, as well. Like it, it also comes down to an ethical standpoint. So is it, is it, is it okay or is it right for the employer to know how their employee is doing on all these different levels? So the stance we take uh, is, as asthemia, we are um, a, a measurement tool. So we're not a treatment tool, which means if we detect something, we can't actually suggest anything to do. We do not suggest treatment. That's not our specialty. That's for other people to do. So the way I think employers should use theme and the way we we are encourage everyone to do this is basically you use someone like Themia alongside another intervention tool, which will help essentially um, do what's called um, closing the loop with the user. So you're not showing the user a score, say, for exhaustion or um, anxiety or stress that could be detrimental to them and then just leaving them hanging. 
you need to close the loop for them. So we don't typically show the end user the scores unless there is another program in place, an EAP program to offer self-help or to offer therapy or to suggest even something as simple as yoga. Um, that's We work alongside them. So as an employer, you would use the package, essentially. The other thing which I think is really important, and a lot of employers don't actually agree with this, but I think as a mental health um, company with as much power as we have in terms of what we can look at, um, ethically, this is the way to do it. You should never show the employer exactly the individual employee with name and everything, how they are doing, because whether they like it or not, a lot of employers or managers at some level or other will use that um, information and they may use it in the wrong way. So say you have a team member who is consistently exhausted. They may be exhausted because they have chronic fatigue syndrome or they are depressed or maybe they just, you know, they're going through a rough time at home for whatever reason. If as a manager, you're consistently seeing that one employee marked high on exhaustion, you may be tempted to replace them or to put in their place somebody who performs better essentially. That is completely unethical. So we always say, if you're going to use the EMEA, it needs to be at the group level. We will never show um, the exact scores. It will always be at a minimum of three people, essentially. So we are entering into this uh, this kind of weird gray area of what, what should and shouldn't be done. But I think as a company, you need to kind of like draw an ethical standpoint there. And, and that's the one we've gone with. I think the whole data and privacy uh, debate is one that Absolutely. I'm sure you've gone into in massive, yeah. massive depth, and we don't have time for it today. So I'll take that up trust, or perhaps have you as a guest another time uh, <laughs> to uh, to go through that. But uh, final question: uh, Where can listeners where can listeners find out more about yourself and Themia? So you can go onto our website. So that's www.themia.ai. So t h y m i a dot ai. Uh, you can also find us on LinkedIn. I'm always very happy to connect to different people. And if I can just say that right now we are actually crowdfunding. So if anybody is interested in um, supporting Themia or maybe investing in mental health or AI for whatever reason, um, we are actually actively looking for people to join our mission. Uh, of course, as with every investment, you know, this comes with, with all its own th things, but we are actively looking for people to join the mission. I wish you success with that. I'm not sure if this show is going to go out in time to catch the crowdfunding, but I certainly wish you I wish you every success with it. Absolutely. Dr. Emilia Molenpakis, thank you very much indeed for taking part. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And thank you for listening. This has been The Near Futurist, a Clapperton Media production, and I've been Guy Clapperton. See you in a month.